0: Uh, Joe has been reminding us uh, a lot in the uh, uh, in the last couple months when we were in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. The tr- chapter fifteen is all about what resurrection, resurrection right? Chapter sixteen is all about Money. no, no. Chapter sixteen is actually about a whole bunch of stuff. Chapter sixteen is like the potpourri category on Jeopardy. Chapter sixteen is. Uh, an assortment of, it, it seems like uh, Paul had a bunch of post it notes lying around and little uh, phrases written on the back of envelopes and people he needed to mention, uh, make sure he gave shout outs to. Uh, chapter 16 is what Gordon Ramsay would call a dog's breakfast, but it is also Holy Scripture. And so, dang it, we're going to spend our time working through it. And it starts off about money. Now, Paul says, about. The collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me." Now, Paul is not giving sort of general advice about giving. He is speaking about a specific situation. As usual in his letters, Paul did not sit down and say, now I am going to compose a treatise upon this subject. Paul was responding to a specific situation going on in the church at the time. The specific situation going on right here is that the church in Jerusalem, which was very poor, which incidentally still is, by the way, this is why every Good Friday in the Episcopal Church, the, the Good Friday offering is is sent to the church, the Anglican churches in the Middle East, because the church there uh, is is still in need and it's in need of help from the rest of God's people. Paul's the underlying idea here is that all the money that's there is Jesus's money, right? And Jesus's people need Jesus's money the way Jesus's people get Jesus's money is that other of Jesus' people who have that money send Jesus' money to the people who are Jesus' people who don't have Jesus' money yet until the people who have Jesus' money who are His people send Jesus' money to them. Got it? Right? So whose money is it? To whose people are they? Right. So this is really sort of an administrative matter. But it is not just an administrative matter because with money it never is, is it? Right? Money brings up all kinds of issues for us. Whether you're somebody who has a comfortable living, whether you're somebody who is scraping by, whether you have known in the past poverty or at least a certain degree of want and now you're comfortable, or whether in the past you were very comfortable and now you are struggling, money is something that has a hold on us. It's something that we spend frankly, quite a lot of our time thinking about, a lot of our time talking about, especially if you are in a small, limited liability partnership known as a marriage. You may find that conversations between spouses during the week have a lot to do with things like who's picking whom up when and what did you take that out of the ATM for. And it's important. The fact is Jesus talks a whole lot more about money than he does about sex, for example. Also important. A whole lot of stuff in the Psalms and the Proverbs about how we handle money, how we think about money. But specifically what Paul is talking about here is what we do with money when we give it away. Who's money again? Jesus' money. Okay, and, and why is the money being given it's being given because some of Jesus' people need that money. And it's Jesus' money. So, Pam, if you have Jesus' money that Andrew needs, then Jesus is basically saying, hey, that's my money, hand it over to Andrew. But it was Jesus' money in the first place. That's was not really taking from you. Corinthians didn't really see it like that. See, the Corinthians, as, as we remember from, from the series... The Corinthians were living in basically the the, uh, uh, first century equivalent of New York, New Orleans, Baltimore, a major port city, a ton of trade, all kinds of people going through. And it was a new city. Uh, It was not the old Corinth of the Greek Empire that had, in fact, been wrecked by the Romans. Romans had decided they rather liked having a port city on this isthmus. In, uh, in the uh, Greek peninsula. So they decided they would rebuild the city. So this is a new city, which means that all the money in Corinth is new money. You don't have generation upon generation upon generation of plantations where wealth has been established for, for centuries. Everybody there is there because they're trying to figure out how to make money. They're trying to figure out how to make money with trade or with crafts. Maybe they've been brought there because they're slaves. Maybe they've been brought there uh, it, as part of uh, various other uh, trades catering to people who are travelers. But the people in Corinth are, on the one hand, living in probably uh, a, a, a situation where there is a lot of wealth around them, and it seems some of the people in the Corinthian church are fairly comfortable, uh, at least some of them are because they can host some of these, uh, these parties, but, but others are not. Others probably are slaves but the Corinthians, relative to other churches at the time, were on the whole pretty well off, right? Um, and it, it's best to understand this little snatch of First Corinthians sixteen by referring to First Corinthians or to Second Corinthians eight. This is a letter Paul had to write a few months later. And if you think he's annoyed with the Corinthians in First Corinthians, just wait till you get to the second one. So in, in the second. Second Corinthians starting chapter eight, he says, "Now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, right uh, Macedonian churches would be churches in uh, kind of to the northeast of, of uh, Corinth. These would have been in people living in a less desirable, less um, renowned area. People living in Macedonia would have been looked down on generally by the Corinthians as somewhat backward. And in fact, the Macedonian churches were exceedingly poor. Yet, we find out, Paul says, out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They didn't do as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he'd earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel In this grace of giving, not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, this sounds all very nice, doesn't it? But Paul is not nice. Paul is not being remotely nice to the Corinthians. Paul is pointing out to the Corinthians that they are much more comfortable than the church in Macedonia. And that the churches in Macedonia, in fact, begged Paul. Paul said, oh, you know, you, look, you guys are in tough shape. They said, no, we beg you. We want to give to the church in Jerusalem. We also want to give to your ministry, Paul. We, we are, we're imploring you to let us do this. They gave beyond their ability. They, they, they sacrificed to exert this kind of generosity. And then he says, and you know, I know, you guys, since you always, you excel in everything, don't you? Mostly, Paul's thinking, you excel in pissing me off. But you think of yourselves as excelling in everything. Excelling in faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness and in, in love for us. Well, how about you also excel in giving? Huh? How about you exert some generosity? See, Paul, when he commends this activity to the Corinthians, he is not talking about generosity as a feeling. Paul is not talking about generosity as something that just wells up within you that you cannot help but respond to. Paul's talking here about generosity as a practice. Generosity as a discipline. He says about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. He doesn't say, I want you to feel as generous as the Galatians did. right? That's even kind of farther past Macedonia. He doesn't say, I want you to try to get yourselves in a place where you really, really want to be generous. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, do what I told them to do. Each of you, on the first day of the week, set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come we won't have to have any awkward conversations. See, giving has to be characterized not just by generosity, but by intentionality. That's something we, we actually learned at New Hope when we, uh, we found out that there we, we were about a third of, of giving at New Hope was coming through electronic funds transfer, and a, a significant amount more was coming through people doing like online bill pay. So checks would come in the mail. So a whole lot of people would show up on Sunday morning and the basket would get passed and we wouldn't put anything in it. And I think some people may have gotten the impression that there were magic fairies putting money in our bank account so that we could keep the lights on. Um, But what it also, the other problem with that though is it, it took away from those of us who were giving by these other means the opportunity to tie our giving to this experience of worship. Right? When you think about when a worshiper would come to the temple, right, somebody's making a, a thank offering, maybe he's bringing along this, this bull, right? On, on the one hand, you know, Jesus says when you're making your gift, don't blow trumpets and have everybody be impressed with you. On the other hand, you can't like just discreetly slide a bull into the offering basket, right? Like th- there, there is an act of, of joyful participation on the part of the worshiper. And so we went from a bowl to a little wooden nickel. But we, the reason we have these wooden nickels is so that those of us who are giving in, in other ways other than putting money or a check in the, in the basket have something to put in so that we're participating in, in this offering in the worship service. It's also uh, something many of us will, will keep this around with us all week and we'll carry it around to remind ourselves that it's whose money? Jesus' money, not ours. And when Paul says, set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, this is really important. And unfortunately, when, when Joe sent the, uh, the link to this text, he sent it in uh, the New Revised Standard Version, which is a translation that has a lot to say for it, but the translation that the NRSV gives us in this verse, I think, is really off. Uh, the way the NRSV renders this is basically, when on the first day of the week, you should set aside whatever you have that's extra. That's, I don't think it's what Paul is saying at all. What, what, the, the word has to do with, with that, which is, that which is where there is increase. That, basically, where there is profit. Where, wherever you have made money, wherever you have had income over the week, you set aside a portion of that. Now, most people at that time would have gotten paid. on of them got paid daily, or maybe they would have gotten paid weekly. Of course, if you were a merchant, you might go months without getting any pay, and of course, that way, you, if that's your situation, you have to manage your money a little differently. Some of us get paid regularly every week, this, or every month, or every two weeks, the same amount, and for those people, it makes sense that you just sort of regularly set that, that amount aside. For other people, it's a little more complicated, but the idea is we need to be intentional about this. We need to think ahead. This is not like you show up at church and say, oh, wait, what do I have extra in my... Wait, I got, oh no, well, that would be kind of awkward if I just put like 37 cents in Let's see if I got, I got. A, I got a, all I got is a 20. I, yeah, I can't really make change. That's awkward to make a change in the offering plate. Well, I guess I'll do it. No, the, the, the idea is you, you come prepared to make the offering that you have to give to God. You've thought about it, that you've considered what it is that God is leading you to do, what He's enabled you to do. What What amount of God's money is He calling you to give for the work of his kingdom. What part of Jesus' money is to be allocated to other of Jesus' people than you? And we get this in, in, uh, in the Second Corinthians passage going on. Paul says, here's my advice about what's best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So you basically made a big fat pledge, and then you put down like a quarter on it. He said, so now finish the work that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. So what Paul is not saying is you should give even if you don't have anything. Right? The, the widow that Jesus commended who gave all she had, gave what she had. like She didn't take money from somebody else and give that away. Uh, this is one of the reasons, by the way, that, that we still don't accept giving by credit card. I mean, at some point, we may decide to do that differently, but we've always felt like, no, the the, the problem with giving by credit card, on the one hand, you get some points for your hotels or airline miles or whatever. Um, it actually costs us a little more to process that than, than a, a, a debit card. But, but but the real thing is, like, we're supposed to give from what we have, not from what we don't have. So the problem with Giving with a credit card. I, I mean, unless you're really rigorous about using it just as a as a, a payment card, and you pay it off every month, uh, there's the the risk that you're saying, "Oh, I got I got to pay this, so I'm going to you know give this to the church. I don't really have it yet, but I'm I'm going to have it. And I'll, uh, once I once I make that money, then I can pay off the card. That that's not the point." It's one of the reasons that it's necessary that God's people give generously according to their means. The church in Jerusalem didn't have the means to give money to the church in Corinth. That's why the church in Corinth had to take Jesus' money that was in Corinth with Jesus' people there and send it to Jesus' people in Jerusalem. So there needs to be generosity, there needs to be intentionality. And giving also needs to be characterized by verifiability. Now, this is not something that, that... usually jumps out at you, but if you look at it, Paul's talking a whole lot about cash handling processes, isn't he? Right? He says, so save the money up so when I come, we won't have to take up any collections, and then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Right, so what's he saying to the Corinthians? I am going to pull up a Brinks truck. You know that when you put the money in a Brinks truck, it's going to go where it needs to go, and you can trust that. And you know what? If I need to ride shotgun, I will do that. And he goes on this is in, in, in chapters eight and nine. Paul goes on and he says, he says, You know, I thank God who put into the heart of Titus The same concern I have for you, for Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way that we administer this generous gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. And in addition to Titus and that brother, we're sending with him the other brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. And as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. You know, there's no need for me to write to you about the service for the saints, because I know how eager you guys are to help. Right? I, in fact, I've been boasting to the Macedonians. Remember the Macedonians? I just told you about how they were so generous. I've been telling them about how generous you guys are. How that since last year you were ready to give. You made this big pledge, and you can't wait to fulfill it, and your enthusiasm has actually stirred them to action. So I'm sending these brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter might not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Gosh, if any Macedonians were to come with me and find you unprepared, then we, i mean, not to mention you, would be really embarrassed about being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you'd promised and then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Translation, I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. You are all about making big promises and then not writing checks. And here is the deal. I am going to eliminate any reason that you might have to object to giving as you have promised to do any effort you might make to raise questions about the integrity of this donation. Any questions you might have about whether we're following generally accepted accounting principles should be put entirely to rest. Because not only am I sending Titus, whom you know, I'm sending this other brother that everybody knows and this other brother. Right? Sometimes I think of these other brothers as big guys without opposable thumbs who don't understand things real well who get sent to collect. Right? Paul's saying, look, it's now time to come through on what you said. You have absolutely no excuse to not do this and I know you people, so I know some of you are saying, well, we're really not sure that that money's going to go to Jerusalem and so I just, I don't think it wouldn't be be good stewardship for us to hand it up. Paul's like, "Uh uh-uh. No, don't even try to do that. And that is one of the reasons, by the way. It, it, financial integrity is essential. We, um, when New Hope began, we actually belonged to this group called the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. We did that for a few years, and then we realized that it was not good stewardship because we were paying so much of our budget to comply with all that you had to do for really what was designed for bigger organizations. But if there are ministries that you support... Check to make sure that they that they belong to ECFA. You hear all these stories about the televangelists with their private jets and their big lake houses. I just saw an article in the Babylon Bee, it's like the Christian Onion, where they the archaeologists found the remains of Jesus's eight thousand square foot lake house. So I'm hoping next month when I go to Israel I'll get to see it. Uh, you know, those those ministries, generally speaking, are not part of ECFA. They don't follow the kind of financial disclosure rules that they have. They, they have all of the, they pack the boards with their, with their family members. Um, but, you know, what we do do is we are transparent. So all of our books are entirely open at New Hope. If you would like to know at any given point uh, what we have spent money on, uh, come ask and Joe and I can dig the files out and you can take a look. The only thing we don't uh, disclose is salary information and I actually would be happy to share mine i just don't want to set that precedent as something we would expect for all staff but all of this really is for one to you know to make sure that we are being faithful stewards of god's money and to try to avoid an opportunity for somebody who might be tempted to take money to take it which is why you know when we take up the offering we collect it and then we sort of put it in some place where everybody knows where it is but you don't like look carefully at it and we have multiple people count it and so forth. Um, But I will tell you this, and I've been doing this long enough that I've seen this to generally be true. It is not always true, such that when it is not true, it is especially remarkable. But generally speaking, when somebody is raising questions about financial integrity, when somebody is raising questions about the verifiability of whether money is being put where it's supposed to be put, those are generally not the people who are giving the most of it. Generally speaking, it, and there are exceptions, but generally speaking, when people raise objections like that, it's like them saying, Hi, I don't tithe, but I'm going to throw up a complaint or a question. I'm, I'm not asking this because I really want to know the answer so that I can be faithful. I'm answering this so I have a good reason to not do what I'm supposed to do. So Giving needs to be, needs to be characterized by generosity, intentionality, verifiability, and by equality. Paul says in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, in a passage that's often misunderstood, he says, you know, if if the willingness is there, then the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. So our desire is not that others would be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there would be equality. So right now, your plenty will supply what they need, in turn, there, plenty will supply what you need. And then there will be equality, as it's written. He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Now, what Paul is not talking about here is radical economic redistribution among the churches. Jesus does not say, I demand that every one of my people have exactly as much of my money as everyone else. What he's saying is that I'm not suggesting here, Paul says, that you are the only ones who are going to support everybody else. There are times when you are flourishing, times when you're prospering, and then you can be very generous. And then there are times when you're not. It's been my experience in ministry. I've had to come alongside people and say, You're somebody who has been very generous in times that you were prospering. Now you're at a time where you're not able to stop giving money to the church because you give according to what you have, you give according to your income. If you don't have anything, if you don't have any income, then you shouldn't be giving. That count on another one of Jesus' people to give Jesus' money. You are in a position where you are to receive. And some scholars even believe that, that parts of the early church were, were living so on the edge that you might have one family one week being the one that was giving and the next week being the one that was receiving. And that's, that's perfectly fine. Paul's, Paul's point is everybody's going to have what they need. And, they, and he tells the story about, about the manna where everybody gathered what they needed. And it doesn't say in the text that everybody gathered exactly the same amount, but the people who needed more gathered more, and the people who needed less gathered less, but everybody had what they needed because God provided it. Now, you may have noticed, but you probably didn't, because I never do this, that I just did an acrostic or an acronym. What is that? Generosity, intentionality, verifiability, and equality. That That spells out give, doesn't it? See, I can do it. I don't usually do it, but I can. Now, Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians. He says, you've got to remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should give what he's decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. As it's written, he's scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform isn't only supplying the needs of God's people. It's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you've proved yourselves. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So what Paul is saying here is that everyone should give what he's decided to give. And God loves a cheerful giver. So if you don't want to give or if you're not happy about it, then don't. Right? Is that what Paul's saying? No, that is not what Paul is saying. The, the joke is God loves a cheerful giver but the treasurer is less discriminating. Um, again, Paul is talking to a bunch of people who have written big checks that are not able to be cashed yet. Right? Paul is writing to people who have made generous pledges. Again, this is an honor-shame society, so you receive honor by making generous generous gifts. You, know, you might erect a statue of somebody or you might throw a, a, a big party at, at some festival and you'd be honored in the sight of your community. So there, there are people who are, are looking to be honored. They want to get their name on, on you know, the wall of the, the library or whatever, but But they haven't written the check yet. When Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver, this is, in the one sense, him sort of coming with a big smile to the Corinthians, inviting them to do what they have said they're going to do. But I don't think, I think Paul would like them to be cheerful. I think Paul would like them to be automatically generous and to have that quality grow in them. But until it does, he's happy to have them actually just give money as they promised they would, because Jesus' people need that and other people that Jesus loves have Jesus' money that needs to be given, right? This is often misunderstood. It does not mean that if you don't feel really happy about giving that you shouldn't. It does not mean that if you don't really want to be generous, you shouldn't be generous. Generosity, as I said, is not a feeling. Generosity is an action. Now, the worst thing that I could possibly do at this point is to say, okay, so be generous. Done. Because we preach a gospel of grace, not of law. What Paul is talking about here is providing for the needs of God's people, but he's also describing living the kind of life where we can own our possessions without our possessions owning us. If we recognize that all that we have is whose? Jesus's. That we're just stewards of it. If we recognize that it's all Jesus's well, then we don't let that own us. We don't let it make decisions for us. We get to choose what we do with what God has entrusted to us. One way that we can get in the habit of having that way of thinking is by habitually giving some of it away. I mean, you think about the the first fruits, right? Back in, again, thinking back to Old Testament times, God says, so when you, when you reap the harvest, the first thing you do with the very first of, the, of what you reap, bring it to me. Bring it to the temple. When you have a, a, a new goat, right? When mommy goat becomes a mommy for the first time, what do you do with baby goat? You sacrifice it. Is that an economically rational decision? No. Right? Right? Because we don't know if mommy goat is going to become mommy goat again, right? I mean, that, that, that could be game over. And, and goats you know, would, are, would be like a, a form of, of capital. Go, goats are a capital resource. They generate more things that are valuable, like goat hair and milk and more goats. But if you take the goat and you slaughter it and you burn it up on the altar, then, then you got nothing. God says, exactly. That's exactly what I want you to do. Because I want you to remember that I'm the one who is providing things for you, not you. I am the one, I have the cattle on a thousand hills and the goats and a zillion goat pens. And I am the one who gives goats and I'm the one who gives sheep. I'm the one who gives grain and I'm the one who gives oil and wine. I'm the one who gives you your iPhone. And so if you are going to get this, if you're going to be properly related to this stuff, then on a regular basis, it's a good idea for you to do something that makes no sense with it, i.e., give it away. And I will tell you, it never gets easier. It never gets easier. You may be thinking, oh, okay, once I pay off my student loans, then I'll start giving. Or once we get, once we get into a house, then I'll start giving. Or once we get the kids through school, then I'll start... Okay, once I pay off my credit card, it never gets easier. You never make enough money that you start feeling like now you can give it away. For one thing, even the wealthiest people will say, "How much money is enough?" Carnegie said just a little bit more. The other thing, and this is especially an affliction for those of us who are in the middle class, there are a whole lot of things that are available that are possible for us. I mean you know you you may not be able to take a Week-long ski vacation in Vale comfortably, but you might be able to figure out how to cobble something together so that you could. And as Kevin Jones always says, a luxury once established becomes a necessity. Once experienced, becomes a necessity. You know there there are are many more opportunities. I mean, if you had been a a peasant in the Middle East, you, you, like the the idea of living the way we live now would have been utterly inconceivable. But we have the the challenge of finding so many Joneses to keep up with, or at least to have as much fun as they seem to be having. I'll also say that giving only gets more complicated. And you know, my hats off to you if at some point you need to have complicated trust and estate arrangements so that you can move money around so that the government doesn't get too much of it. But for most of it, most of us giving means you take a portion of the money that you get in your paycheck and you put it aside, and you know. Many of us will tithe, partly because we're bad at math. And the math's really easy. You just move the decibel point over one. That's also a a principle of, of giving from Old Testament times. It doesn't automatically transfer, but it's not a bad idea. And I don't know anybody who tithes who regrets that they do. But it never gets easier. It only gets more complicated. And it will always be. Giving will always be a discipline of obedience. Sometimes it's a joyful thing. Sometimes you are, it's so much fun to be able to say, you know what, I, I think about the Olanias just a few months ago. Here's a refu- an asylee family, they need a car. And there are people in our congregation who joyfully said, I am so happy that I can write this check to help them get this car. right?" And I know there are other people who said, you know what, I know I can help them right now. I'm not feeling it so much, but this is the right thing to do. And other times, other people are going to be joyful. The uh, Bishop Eugene, the bishop of the diocese, says, give until it makes you happy. Give until it makes you smile. Um, Well, that's kind of fun, and it's always fun to hear him asking people for money other than me, but, um, you know, sometimes you may not get that smile on your face. Sometimes you may not feel all that happy. The generosity is not... Is not a feeling. It's a habit. It's an action. So when we give, we give because that's how we live into the kind of life that God has for us. He's the one who makes it possible. He's the one who provides. It's all Jesus' money anyway. One of the early elders here was Paul Barnes, uh, very mature man who had been experienced uh, not only in business but also in a few church plants and he always talked about how when the, when it comes to money in the church we need to have grown up conversations with each other from time to time. If a church is talking about money too much, that's a problem. If a church never talks about money, that's a problem. But as we need to, we have these conversations. We don't get afraid of it. and We don't Obsess about it, but we recognize this is part of our life together. This is part of discipleship. Some of us are growing in this area more quickly than others. Some of us have seen victory in this area more than others. But the worst thing I could do would be to say, well, if you're not 100% where you ought to be, then you're just a bad person and you need to try harder. Trust God. Try giving. Try giving if you're not. Try giving generously if you're not. Try giving intentionally if you're not. We'll do all the verifying you need. But give. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would be people who are cheerful and joyful and generous givers. We pray that we would recognize that all the good things you give us are really yours to be deployed as you see fit, not as we see fit. We pray that we would hold our possessions loosely enough that we would always be ready to give them as you direct. We pray that we'd be people who make a habit of living into this reality that you are the one who is all gracious and all generous. We thank you for the many ways that you have been faithful in providing for this church over the years. The ways that you provided funds, places we never expected they'd be coming from. All the times that you demonstrated that we do not need to worry about whether you are going to provide for us. We pray that we would be able to live into this reality that we can trust you In all things, including in the way that we handle our money and give it away. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.